The following audio was originally recorded live and broadcast to the facilities of Trent Radio on January 8th, 2020. I'm Justin Evangelo. This is Disenabled, the show where we enable people with physical disabilities. So happy to be back behind the mic. It is my one sane spot in a university world full of chaos and craziness. Today, I am so fortunate to have a terrific guest with me today. She has been recording radio as far back as reel-to-reel tape uh, in the 1970s on Ryerson Radio. Everybody, please welcome Devin Wilkins. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to come and uh, have a conversation with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So today I wanted to focus on, because you are fully blind, um, I wanted to focus on today, this is, I haven't even sent you these questions. This is spontaneous as it gets. (laughs) So today I wanted to talk about guide dog versus cane use. Now, to give people some context, let's let's talk about you for a second. Give us a brief sort of summary of your life, where you grew up, uh, where where you've come from uh, as a person. Okay, well, I'm originally from the eastern townships of Quebec, um, but our family wasn't French or Catholic either, uh, and uh, my dad had a an 86 acre farm. And uh, I'm the youngest of nine. Went to school for, uh, I went to a school for the blind in Montreal and then in Brantford. And um, I've uh, done work in uh, medical transcription and uh, massage and hydrotherapy and finally uh, radio. Terrific. At any point, were you ever a cane user? This is something I actually don't know about you. Were you were you at all? Did you ever use the cane? Yes. I okay. Did. Um, when did you start? Um, I started in high school. I think uh, it might have been a good idea for um, us to start earlier in life uh, because <laughs> by the time high school comes along, you already have developed inhibitions and that sort of thing. So it might have been better um, as far as confidence building if I if we had started earlier. But I was probably sixteen-ish. So so how did that come about? Uh, what was the experience like? How did the, the the cane first get introduced into your life? I had a cane because I I traveled uh, from uh, especially when I was traveling in uh, Quebec, I, I was on the train myself. So I had a cane, but I didn't ever really know how to use it properly. And then um, when I was about 16, the school introduced uh, mobility uh, lessons. And uh, I remember walking uh, down the uh, center walk um, uh, of the school in Brantford toward uh, Brant Avenue, and uh, you know, having to 
learn how to cross streets and listen to uh, the direction of traffic and that sort of thing and never feeling terribly confident. So when you did finally hone your cane skills, there obviously was a boost of confidence for you because of the independence it allowed you to have. Yes, yeah. Um, But I was never a really confident uh, cane traveler. Okay. Because of the fact that that may have something to do with the fact you started late, as you said before. And uh, usually, typically, you want to start, at least with the cane, as soon as... uh, as soon as you can hold it, basically, and, and wield it and learn that it's not a weapon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, before then, how did you get around? Did you rely a lot uh, on sighted guide? Because yes. up until the age of, you know, 16, that's, that's, that's quite a lull in between being able to use something proficiently and, and not having it at all, not knowing how to use it, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, a sighted guide. Uh, um, most of the time, I remember walking to uh, church, back and forth to church um, in school, and uh, quite often the people that we walked with, that I walked with, didn't have any more sight than I did. So, uh, but we were in a fairly tight line, so, you know, you couldn't go too far away, (laughs) (laughs) too far afield. Mm -hmm. But uh, I... um, Always remember, when I got my cane, I decided I was going to call it Thelma. You know, how uh, people name things. And the reason I called it Thelma was my mother's name was Thelma. And she wasn't a particularly good guide. And, um, for example, she wouldn't tell me when uh, there was a curb. And I quite often found myself, as I said in a poem one time, paying respects to the ground on all fours. So when I got my cane, and quite often it let me down uh, as far as uh, probably more because of my lack of skill than uh, uh, because of of the cane itself. But anyway, I quite often found myself paying respects to the ground on all fours. So I called it Thelma. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, straying away from from Thelma then, uh, what made you switch to a guide dog, and and how old were you when you made the switch? I was, uh, once again, later than most people. Um, I had wanted to much earlier, but my family kind of discouraged me. Mm. And then when I moved to Collingwood... Um, and uh, I was with a mobility instructor. She said to me, I'll have to see about getting you a puppy. (laughs) And I just about fell over because I thought you had to be a really, really competent and confident cane traveler to to have a guide dog. And uh, the idea of having a dog beside me as opposed to a very non-responsive cane, (laughs) uh, sounded like a really uh, appealing idea. So I went to uh, Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind and had a two-day assessment and um, decided that I wanted to uh, go ahead with getting a dog. And uh, for my uh, 42nd birthday, I got my first dog named Sally. Wow. And she was a golden retriever. Well, you, you now have a, 
a golden lab that's laying right at our feet right now. Frankie, he's your fifth dog. Do I remember correctly? My fourth. Fourth dog. He's a yellow lab. Yellow yeah. lab. Okay. Mm-hmm. Golden yellow. Close enough. Well, <laughs> golden retrievers have a longer fur. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's usually fluffier too. Yeah, yeah. Frankie's nice and coarse. Yeah. What kind of training was involved, and, and how long was it to get Sally in the first place? Um, you have to be there for about a month mm-hmm. at uh, at the school. And uh, they do a lot of, um, not my school, but there are schools that do uh, a lot of home training now. But um, the school that I went to, which is in Manatic, uh, just south of Ottawa, um, likes you to really uh, concentrate on being with the dog and building a, a relationship and a bond with uh, the dog and kind of putting everything else in your life on the side. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I think they they want to have you where they are instead of having to bring the dog to you. Right, because it would make sense. The dog's much more familiar where it's been brought up and and trained in a more comfortable environment, and then when it goes off with you, you're its... Basically, yes. it's stable source of comfort and companionship. So if everything goes according to plan, I imagine, then the, the, the thought is the two of you, the dog and you, will, will click up and, and be lifelong yeah, friends. Yeah, that's right. So when you go through the training, do you have to go through it for every dog you have? This is a misconception behind a lot of thing, behind a lot of people who have dogs. Some say yes, you have to go through the retraining. Some say no. Uh, have you had to? Yes, I have. Okay. And the reason their reasoning is the school's reasoning is that just like drivers, uh, we guide dog users can develop bad habits <laughs> during the years that we have spent with a certain dog. And not all dogs are the same. You know, dogs, as opposed to cars, dogs have their own personalities <laughs> and that sort of thing. So uh, they like you to try when you go to train with a dog to uh, clear the slate, so to speak, and give them give the, the trainer and the dog the chance to um, um, teach you information that you need to know about that dog. And uh, so that's what uh, they like you to do at the Canadian Guide Dogs. Okay. M- makes sense. Seems quite logical, too. They They want you walking away with the best experience possible, obviously. Yeah. Does it cost anything? This is another high tension sort of thing, and I've heard mixed reviews on this. When you go to try to get a guide dog and, and be certified to have one, does it cost the the owner of the soon to well the soon to be owner of the dog anything? It all depends on what school you go to. In most uh, situations, no, it does not cost anything. Okay. Um, the CNI, which is in Morristown, New Jersey, and everybody calls guide dogs CNI dogs, but that's like calling tissues uh, Kleenex. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's just uh, more or less a brand name. Um, I think they charge $150 for the first dog and then 50 for every 
successor dog okay after that but um uh canadian guide dogs for example and leader and different schools like that they they don't charge anything um canadian guide dogs does because it's a, a legal agreement that you sign as far as uh the care of the dog and that sort of thing they want you to uh, give them a dollar just a small little pittance yeah uh, yeah. yeah yeah okay so it, it does vary it, and it seems like in the states it tends to be a little bit more expensive as as you mentioned having the dog uh, versus having the cane how have people reacted publicly usually what, what i mean by this and i don't of course i don't want to steer your answer in any way but what i'm trying to drive at is usually people pay much more attention to the dog because it's a better conversation point because it's more approachable than than a, a painted stick with a grip on it. yeah that's right <laughs> so in your experience have people been much more receptive to the dog than than the cane or has it been equal what's what's that been like for you uh, yeah, definitely people are more receptive to the the dog. Uh, it, it's funny, um, you know, if, if they can talk to the dog um, and then leave it, that that's fine. But um, it's not so handy sometimes when you want to go right. in the car with somebody. <laughs> then they're not necessarily as receptive. But... Uh, uh, because of the uh, the hair and that sort of stuff, and so you need as a as a handler, you need to try to keep your dog as clean as possible. Um, but certainly, a dog is much more of a conversation starter than a cane. And on on long bus trips, uh, like I tend to take to go and see family. Mm-hmm. The the dog is definitely much more companionable, <laughs> and uh, you know you can t- at least talk to the dog, whereas if you talk to your cane, well, you might get some strange <laughs> looks. <laughs> that's 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 great, and a lot of the time, uh, first I'm going to actually segue this by asking a question, and you've partially answered it already. You said your family discouraged you from sort of getting a dog. What was their thinking behind the discouragement? Um, I think partially because of the hair. Mm. Um, I, I think uh, also not everybody likes uh, dogs. And uh, other than that, I'm not sure why, because I'm not living with any of my family, so they don't have to worry about <laughs> taking the dog out and uh, that sort of thing. And finally, I said, unless you're going to be there to cross the street with me any time I want to go, I don't think you have any say. <laughs> so, well, good on you. Yeah. That's great advocacy. The reason I ask is because I hear a lot of people a lot of cane users who are thinking about switching to a, a dog and they say, my family's pressuring me. It's, it seems to be the opposite situation because of the factors that I just mentioned that they're not only seeing the, the people, whether it be parents or, or friends or extended family who want the person with the sight impairment to get the dog are saying, well, it's not only a guide dog, you know, it's a great protector. And, and what do you, think about being pressured to to get a dog versus a cane because of let's just say it's it's better which i don't think is the case at all i think it's a case-by-case basis but what what's your stance on 
cane and and making the switch to a dog how would a person know they're they're ready to make that jump if they needed to if they like dogs if they don't mind going out in 30 degree below weather to take the dog out um, if they feel that they can afford uh, the dog food and vet expenses some schools cover one or both but not all um, uh, if uh, there are added responsibilities with a dog which you don't have with a cane uh, and and there's the companionship if if you like all of that those um, uh, possibilities and you're ready for a dog but uh, I don't think that anybody should feel pressured by anybody else to go one way or the other it's uh, definitely a personal choice mm -hmm. and ultimately you're the one that's going to have to make the choice and live with the choice that you make so I, I don't think that that anybody should uh, try to pressure you one way or the other. A lot of the pressure, too, I think, comes from the fact that uh, the, the, the lot of people I've spoken to are very experienced cane users, about up, up to my level or even better because they travel so much on foot, and their parents are thinking, well, or, or their extended family or whoever's telling them to get the dog are thinking, well, you're out on your, you, you know, you're up and out on your feet a lot. You you might want to get something a little bit more protective than than the cane. You know what I mean? They're, I mean, the hearts are in the right place, but I think it's for the wrong reason. Yeah. You know, the dog shouldn't be the next step, or you know, there there isn't sort of a threshold because as much as they are a, a service, you know, they're supposed to serve you. It, like you said before, the the relationship has to be reciprocated. Yes, you have to right. care for it as well. Now, because we're running not super tight for time, but a little bit, I wanted to briefly touch on the uh, misconceptions, uh, just real quick about when and when you cannot pet a service dog. Um, okay. So, give us, if you can, a, a little bit of a rundown because some people say you can pet them indoors but not outdoors. If they're wearing the harness, you can't pet them at all. What is the ground rule? I know it's person, person you know, case by case, person by person, but what do you prefer? What I do is uh, it's much better if you ask first, then that clears the way. So if, if you see someone with a, a guide or a service dog, instead of assuming that you can or that you can't pet the dog, just say, can I say hi to your dog? And if, for example, I'm out on the street, I'm probably going to say, no, not now. But if I'm sitting down and doing nothing, I'm probably going to say, yeah, you can say hi. <laughs> the other thing, too, is if I'm at a counter, for example, and I'm busy trying to find change, uh, or I'm fumbling in my purse for something, I'm going to say no because I don't want the dog to pull my arm away from what I'm doing. I right. need my two hands. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's one more thing I wanted to say, uh, Justin, before we do run out of time. Yeah, we've got about five minutes still, but okay. go, yeah, go ahead. Um, the dog is in no way, no how, trained to protect you. It might instinctively, if something were to happen, but uh, learning how to protect uh, its, um, its handler is 
not what being a guide dog is all about. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're straight from the horse's mouth. Now, for the dogs, you you, you mean when an attack? Like, here's another misconception that that just came to mind as well. There. I mean, they are trained to keep you safe when you're crossing roads or train tracks or what have you, any sort of intersection where a vehicle is moving. Yeah. They, they're trained to protect you there. So if you were to go and the dog says no, will it will it act in, in that sense? Will it usually do something? Oh, oh yeah. Okay. If, if, if um, quite often, if a danger of that kind is uh, staring you in the face, so to speak, the dog will either step in front of you or shove you out of the way or okay. whatever but if if uh when i was talking about protecting if somebody were to approach you and you know start attacking you in any way most dogs might uh protect you uh, out of instinct though right not because they're a guide dog Right, it's just instinctive to pr protect their their master, or their yeah. owner, whatever you want to say. But yeah. again, you're just trying to stress that they are not specially trained to uh, attack. They're they're not a you know they're not like a German Shepherd military dog no. attack dog. No, they don't receive any training whatsoever like that. That's right. Okay, coming to the ultimate question then, which is better? And you've I think you've partially answered this, but. You said it's it's case by case, but I'll ask anyway. Which is better, cane or guide dog? If you were to ask me, I would say a guide dog. But that's <laughs> just for me. I can't uh, answer for you or anybody else. You know what you feel confident and competent uh, with. And um, so it's it's definitely a personal choice and... No one should condemn anybody uh, for uh, what they use as a mobility aid or or where they get the dog if they get ch if they choose to have a dog. Words of great advice. Do you have any last remarks on the subject before we sign off here, Devin? Um, no. Uh, well, yes. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, if if you see someone with a disability of any kind and you feel like you should be helping, uh, then uh, the best thing to do is to say, hi, can I help you, or do you need any assistance? And if the person says yes, then they'll probably tell you what kind of assistance they need. And if they say no, don't be offended. Just be glad that they're being independent. Well, there you go. I've hammered that point home so many times throughout the show, and there you go again. It shows up, and this is the 11th episode. So thank you so much. Devin Wilkins, everybody, great to have you on today. This was a terrific conversation, and you did, I, I hope you cleared up some misconceptions ab so. about the mystic guide dog. Thank you so much. Thank you. Just a small taste of guide dog themed content. More to come in the future. Let me know what you thought about it. Any criticisms or comments you want to send my way would be much appreciated. And if you yourself have a disability and want to see about getting on the podcast, be appreciated as well. Hit me up at disenabled.podcast at gmail.com. I also want to mention, before I forget, that Devin has her own radio show turned podcast called Insight Peterborough. 
more disability-based content for you. If you feel so inclined to check it out, I've linked the podcast and Trent Radio's broadcast schedule where you can listen to the show live, what a novelty that is, down below. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, share it with a friend or two or 25, the more the merrier. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it. And as always, folks, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, cheers. <laughs>